to begin with a story, this section gave me the opportunity to go very deep, deeper into the yoke, to check some of the trends in the past that affects or affected my leadership capacity. And I realized one of the things that I have done consistently is that any time I assume a new role, I use the first two months or so to understand the organization, scan the culture, scan the environment, understand people, what is most essential, and I put my thoughts on paper, in presentation, and I engage various sections of the organization. So when I joined MTN in 2008, I remember that the presentation I did, I titled it First Things First. In 2008, if you remember, that was the time MTN itself was going through a lot of turbulence in terms of the network quality, and everywhere you went, people will lambast you, your network, your network, your network. So I said, even though you have engaged me to come and help on sales and distribution, we can only sell substance. So that engagement was not only around what I needed to do within my own unit, but also influencing the rest of the organization to believe that the organization can go so far if we fixed the basics. So I titled it First Things First. Then fast forward in 2013, I moved to Rwanda. I looked at the environment, talked to the people, looked at the business results, and I realized it's an organization that had forgotten about how to compete completely. It's operated in a monopoly era for a long time. Results came their way without realizing and understanding the basis of the success. The market has moved, the cheese has moved, but the organization was still believing in the past and basing almost everything on previous and past assumptions. So I needed to do something to shake up the system. So the title of the very essence of my arrival and what we're going to do together, I titled it Turn Around Your Role. So in that Turn Around Your Role, it was very clear what the organization needed to do the innovations we needed to build, the execution capacity we needed to build, and most importantly, the market posture that we were to assume. Then I came back to Ghana. Again, the business, unlike Rwanda, was doing well, but I also realized that we were beginning to take success for granted. And we needed to also build much bigger capacity to innovate because the business was still hinged around the traditional business of voice. But the whole world was moving and we needed to also be on track in the digital space. But to be able to do that, you are going to go into the future with the existing team that knows everything about voice but very little about digital. It meant that certain things, certain cultures, certain fundamentals must change. So I put the presentation together, and that one I titled it, Whoa, Ways of Work. 
because of all the things that I scanned, I believed that we needed basically to just change our ways of work. Ways of work around culture, ways of work around innovation, ways of work around how a huge, big organization like MTN can assume the size that can propel it to move even faster with a lot of innovations and also to beat the competition. So I came out with a very simple model, um, a right angle, triangle. I'm a mathematician, so sometimes I think in mathematical terms. A right triangle, triangle, with a circle in the middle, and the circle is to touch all the vertices of the triangle, telling you that irrespective of where you sit and some of the things that I deem to be very important, whether it's a functional depth, which is at the top of that triangle, or is a governance stierco, or the organizational maturity that was also on the other side of the triangle, we must all work together to attain three things. One, I said value, two was performance, and the third was accountability. Accountability, very important because we're moving into a future of digital. We needed to do things differently, and it was important everybody came to the party to deliver that long-term strategy. The next important question, and at this stage, I will be going through two important cases with you. But before I did that, I posed the question, why do you want to be a CEO? And I guess part of that also um, came through Mehdi's presentation. Why do you want to be a CEO? You want to be a CEO for the sake of popularity, for power, or for money? Why? Of all the options available, why do you want to be a CEO? In answering that question, I looked at two historical facts. First is the man historians know very well, the man tacticians and military strategists know very well, the man that many commanders in the military always aspire to his level. Alexander the Great, 356 BC. And if you follow Alexander the Great's story, um, I like his, the, the way um, he is titled, the king of Macedonia and the conqueror of the Persian Empire. This is a very powerful man, or was a very powerful man, who fought more than 70 wars and won all. He conquered the old Greek civilization and stretched his influence to India, to Pakistan, and Egypt. Today, a city in Egypt, Alexandria, is named after him. But in the end, just because of one thing, based on the history, various accounts of the history, but one of the accounts that I want to share with you is that 
Success and power went so much into the, his head, and he stopped listening. He stopped listening to his advices. He had the best of education from the best that the world could offer, Aristotle. So logic, philosophy, science, medicine, culture, all put together in one man. He knew it all. In the end, he came so much under pressure, could not control himself, he ended it. Thirteen years on the throne. The sad part is that he died without a clear successor. So almost everything he fought for to build his kingdom, to be the global power at the time, was lost in no time. Eventually, that kingdom was annexed by the Roman Empire. Again, what do you stand for? Why do you want to be a leader? Did Alexander, in spite of all his greatness and the space he has in history today, still had a good reason to be a leader? At the time, his father told him, Philip II told him, that my son, your ambition is bigger than this territory. Your ambition should stretch beyond the frontiers of the Greek Empire to conquer Persian and after that the rest of the world. Second is from the good old book, Exodus 18:13 to 27. Again, Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. I captured this because when you talk about leadership capacity, I thought I could see everything in here in that test. There is an element of responsiveness and responsibility which in this Instance can represent strategy. There is the element of communication, the element of mentoring, direction and vision, and culture. But one area that I find very intriguing is the area of building a formidable team. When you have the right team and you give them the right direction, everything is possible. As far as I'm concerned, and if I have been able to do it, then you should be able to do what myself, Mehdi, Kweku, and all the other seven panelists you'll be listening to today, put together, can do. Because most of us didn't have the opportunity you have today. Leadership is very very simple, though not simplistic. I call it manicured common sense. Everything in there should make sense. Make sense to you, make sense to your team, make sense to the world you're operating, make sense to the market, the customer, and the future you are seeking to take the team. So formidable team is very important. And again, if you look at the breakdown of what the old man told Moses, 
he touched a bit on ethics. Very important um, subject, people who hate dishonest gain. If only our country can be built on this, we'll go very far. Appoint officials over thousands, hundreds, ten thousands and fifties, and again it touches on organizational structure. So everything you do, the leadership you aspire for, you must also make sure you have a solid organization to support your vision. Another very important task of the leader. When the light is on, the light can be on for two reasons. When the light is on for grace, that is the time for the leader to buy out. When the light is on for difficult tasks, for tough times, to set the vision, to cast a future, that is the time for the leader to step forward. So leadership is also about managing complexities and taking bold, calculated risks. I am going to share with you some three quick pranks of building capacity. One, in the area of building strategic capabilities. Second, in the area of building execution capability, and third, in the area of building leadership capabilities. Under building strategic capabilities, everything in there, I summarize it under three big themes, to partner, to manage, and innovate right. And I guess you can add on time, because time is of essence in leadership. You must have well-grounded core management skills, again, based on what you learned at school. And here, when we talk about what you learned at school, it's not whether you studied business or a business-related subject. With the benefit of my own experience, I believe that irrespective of what you studied at school, if you applied yourself to it, because it's universal knowledge, you still can be a good manager and you still can be a good leader. Because you cite anything taught at school and I'll be able to point you to one thing or the other applicable to leadership. Whether it's history or it's archaeology or it's classics, irrespective of what you did at school, should not be an excuse for you not to build managerial capabilities. After all, management is nothing but managing resources. And the first step towards managing resources, if I break it down, is managing your own money. Your own money. Okay? Sometimes when people say, math is too difficult, I ask them, who counts your money? Having a clear plan and building up plan also with clear futures in mind. So scenario planning is very, very important. You do not say that I have a plan without also answering some of the tough questions, what if? 
What if the economy goes down? What if inflation goes up? What if depreciation goes up? What if, what if, what if? And if you have a mathematical mind like mine, you may even want to assign probabilities. And then when you have assigned, you have assigned probabilities, you are able to choose the most predictable future. Build a plan based on scenarios and build a plan based on contingencies. You need to understand the environment and you underestimate stakeholders and their power or influence at your own peril. If you really want to build leadership capacity, you need to understand your stakeholders and you must painfully map a clear plan for them. Because the stakeholders, if I take my industry, the stakeholders are the people shaping policy and the future of this industry. And I need to be there when they are planning so that I can also influence that future and influence it not in a selfish manner, but in a manner that will benefit the country and also benefit my company. You need to show bias for and also developing capable team. The team you inherit is the team you have. Even if you recruit, it will not be more than 3% of the team you inherit. So you must have the ability to build a formidable team and then take the team from one level of execution and delivery, strategic understanding and contest to another level based on the future. And when the time comes for you to select or nominate possible successors, do not nominate successors who are just like you because your time will not be the very future they will be facing. As a leader, you must also read the future and nominate people who are capable of confronting that future much better than you can do. So it's more like stepping outside of yourself because oftentimes we make the mistakes and get people similar to us, the priest singers closer, and the near showers, we make sure we keep them at a distance. That is not leadership. You cannot build capacity through that. You need to be open-minded enough to co-create the innovative solution, but you must also have the discipline to say enough is enough. When we are innovating, almost everything is acceptable. But when we have to pin it down and define what strategy is, we scope it based on the future that we see, and when it comes to execution also, we deliver in line with strategy. So be open-minded, but also tight-minded enough so that you don't become a jack-of-all-trade. Building leadership capabilities, I summarize it with the phrase making the right choices at the right time. As far as I'm concerned, the net effect of leadership capabilities is all around choices trade-offs. But making these choices 
must also be made within the context of the organization, the environment, and also, very importantly, your own ethics. Such that even when the organization is going through difficulties, like I had to take MTN Rwanda through difficulties and implemented redundancy programs to reduce the size of the organization, make it nimble, poised, strong, to be able to attack, I still needed to be convinced that that decision was the right decision and it was for the collective good of the organization. Because sometimes, even in, in management, you can borrow analogy from examples. When a, a, a ship is about to sink, what do you do? You have to offload. Okay? But what you offload does not mean you don't value the things you offload and the people you offload. And you do even the redundancy program in such a way that the people that you let go, you still give them hope for the future. The training you give them, the development programs you take them through, the coaching and counseling you give them, and even follow up on them once they leave your organization means that you as a leader, you understood the implications of the decision that you took, painful as it may, but you are not taking the decision to make any human being hopeless after they leave your organization. So it is important to also ensure that we make decisions that are very well embedded on ethics. What I call leadership anchor, the hook of why you do what you do. And here, I just want to touch on one of my small passions. And I was making a joke with friends that if care is not taken, one of these days, somebody will ask me, what's the name of your church? And I will say, mobile money. Tell me about your football club, and I'll say mobile money. Because that is a passion point. And it is a well-selected passion, also based on my understanding of where the organization should be in 10 years from now. My understanding of the global environment and the fact that in future, the whole world will go digital. And money itself will transform in the digital space, for which reason our organization must be ready for mobile money now, both internally and externally, and make sure we take mobile money everywhere. So if I take this example of mobile money, everybody in MTN knows about the CEO's passion. Everybody knows. And it does not end there. I get daily reports on mobile money and mobile money performance. And depending on how things go, I can go all the way to where the real action is and ask the right questions. So, as a leader, you must have an anchor, and that anchor must also determine what you die for, what you live for, what you not compromise on, again, driven by some vision, strategy, and how you have cascaded that to everyday execution. Your job, I'm afraid, 
aspiring to be CEOs, your job is not to be easy. And I see MTNS here. My job is never to be easy on my people. And it is also not my job to be mean on them. My job is to figure out what is appropriate, what is right, and to do so with credibility. Leadership is not a beauty contest. When it is time to crack the whip, you must, because it ends with you. The back must stop with you. When you delegate, you are still responsible. You don't go back and blame. But I ask you to do it. Why haven't you done it? Yes, I haven't done it because you, the leader, you were sleeping. You should spot signs of failure ahead of time before they happen. And that is your responsibility. You just don't delegate and go and sleep. It is good when you trust your team members and you can delegate absolutely to them. But when you do so and they fail you, you must also take part of the blame. You must make disciplined choices and allocate resources diligently. And I keep telling my people, if we do not have any business to apply the shareholders' money, let's keep it. Let's not waste it. Whether in advertising, the things we do, the things we sponsor, we must make sure that the resources are very well allocated because in the end, that is what you see in the bottom line. All businesses must grow because without it, you have no future. As for cost, it is constant to grow because none of us here will accept the same salary for three or five years. We expect our salaries to increase year on year. And so long as you, you expect your salary to increase and your suppliers' employees also expect their salaries to increase, you should also expect that your suppliers' bill will increase year on year. So if you do not grow your business to pay for that escalation, it can only affect the bottom line and sooner than later, you will not have any business. Let me address you as CEOs in the making. Your role is to grow your business. And you must build that leadership capacity to be able to grow that business ahead of the cost growth. It's important to negotiate the future and you must do so on a well-reasoned trade-offs and opportunity cost. Every decision you make, you pay cost directly and indirectly. And the leader must understand it and make your choices, make your choices on time and move on with it. Sometimes you fail, learn and move on. Sometimes you succeed, build on your success. But both failure and success based on the decisions you make and on time are important. Sometimes it is important to make decisions based on your instincts, though you've not seen all the data. But I am not also encouraging that that should be the norm. Good leaders 
as I indicated, need to also select the right successes so that the ability for the organization to be in the right direction in the long term, 10, 20, 50 years, can be guaranteed. Now, another passion point, building on execution capabilities. When we talk about execution, it's not just the tactical elements of execution. Your ability to move this book from here to here, your ability to sell 10 more items to customers, your ability to get your customers to hear the advertising campaign um, by 10% or 10-fold, it goes beyond that. True execution power is derived first and foremost from clear vision because that is what must provide you the energy to keep going. And true execution power flows directly from strategy because strategy is what copes the how of how you want to go. If your execution is not in tandem with strategy and vision, you are likely to get tired and you'll give up. And for you as emerging leaders, it's also important to pay attention both to the substance as well as sometimes the nuances of execution. And I tell my team, when you bring me an action plan that has ongoing, who is going? Is it you or that piece of paper? You need to also pay attention to the execution culture. And the execution culture, you see more of that from words people use. Oh, we will pilot. It's not everything that deserves to be piloted. Sometimes you just want to pilot because you want to buy time. You want to pilot because you do not want to take responsibility to make it happen the big way and take responsibility for the outcome. So pilot, as for pilot, when you pilot and it fails, uh, you can be excused. If you can implement and execute globally, commercially, why do you pilot? So watch it. Oh, we need to check the feasibility. Feasibility of what? Just tell me when it can be done. As for the feasibility, we know a lot about it. The research is there. We've seen it. We've agreed. We have a plan. We have a strategy. So when can it happen? How will it happen? What results do we expect from our execution. Because execution itself is relevant only when it delivers the right results. So, it is important to be very deliberate in intent, discipline in thought, and drive in action for you to have great execution. And for you as emerging leaders, I dare say that it is your number one job it is not a job to be delegated. It is your number one job. And why is it your number one job? Because you set the environment for execution. You set the context for great execution. And you are also responsible 
for building that execution machine with people. Such that five, ten years when you are even not there, that machine will keep going. Because the right cultures are there, the environment, the context and everything has been set. And the execution itself is also not in isolation. It's flowing from strategy and, and is being powered by vision. When selecting capable leaders, reliability is also important. Everyone would want to select a leader who will come with a safe pair of hands. And the only way you judge that is the consistency in the person's execution ability over time. One of the ways to check whether this individual is indeed reliable is to also check the person's execution track record. You can go very far if you take execution seriously. You must have the stamina and the staying power. The point has already been made. And again, if there is one common thread, it's the fact that leadership journey can be long and it is not always a straight line. In maths, it says um, a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. So the leadership journey is not always that short. Setbacks will come your way, undesirables will come your way, but the only way you can sustain the energy to confront and beat that path is to be driven by your vision. What is your vision? What do you stand for? What do you want to achieve? Your personal vision vis-à-vis your organization's vision. Very, very important. Very, very important. It is the vision that will help you remain true to your course, whether you are level one, you get promoted to level two, you get promoted to level four, level five, level six, because you know what you want for yourself, for your people, for your country. I touch on culture, and every great execution must also be hinged on strong culture. I touch on the words we use in meetings. The leader must be deliberate, must pay enough attention, listen, and challenge the status quo. Because even sometimes culture is built from the words we use. And when those words are consistently used, it also becomes part of the things the team or group or organization accept as a way of life. Be in tune with numbers. If you are passionate about it, then you will know it when it's going down or it's coming up. And you do not only know it in numbers, but also know it within context, the seasons. When it's coming down, you understand that it's not a crisis, 
because the season demands so. And when it's going up at the time you expect it should come down, you better understand it and don't just get excited because it's going up. For all you know, it can go up much higher than it is when you understand the reasons why it's going up. So you must be in tune with your numbers. And I gave the mobile money example. I know the numbers for mobile money for today. I know the number of customers that transacted yesterday. The revenue we made. The transaction volume. The number of merchants who transacted. Because I believe it's about the future. And I must take equal responsibility for it. So you must know your numbers and manage with the numbers. Understand the green and the red. And if it is possible, avoid that very deceptive word, amber. Yes, my brand is yellow, but today I'm wearing red. Maybe because I want to avoid that deceptive word, amber. My friend, it is either red or green. What is amber? Choose how you want it to be. You remain in red or you push to green. Amber is neither cold nor warm. But fortunately, lukewarm, as far as I'm concerned, is not a combination of cold and warm. Otherwise, it would be called cold warm or warm cold. But we call it lukewarm. So please avoid amber. And be very, very clear, be very decisive, be very deliberate about your actions, the outcomes. And when you take the executive dashboard and you are looking at it, don't always be tricked by the number in the middle and the performance in the middle. Ethics matter. Above all, it is great to execute but sometimes you must lose on the basis of making an ethical choice. And great organizations should not hold it against you. And even if they will hold it against you, so long as you can make that decision with your head high, many other people will be willing and ready to recruit you. Do not restrict yourself to your organization and their ways if their ways are in conflict with your own ethics. So as emerging leaders, you must, you must, you must sometimes be willing to put your job on the line. If you cannot do that, then you don't deserve to be here. I just want to give you two thoughts, two thoughts before I take my seat. People who led with a clear course in history. We all know Muhammad Ali. And one of his favorite quotes says, Nobody has to tell me that this is a serious business. Boxing all. I am not fighting one man. I am fighting a lot of men. Showing them. Here is one man. They couldn't defeat. They couldn't conquer. My mission is to bring freedom to 30 
million black people. When the man is in the ring and this is what he is thinking about, one punch is equivalent to what is coming from 30 million. Again, from the same man, champions aren't made in James. Champions are made from something they have deep inside them. What do you have deep inside you? A desire, a dream, a vision. They have to have the last minute stamina. And they have to be a little faster. They have to have the skill and the will. But the will must be stronger than the skill. How serious would you want to take your mandate? You, company limited. You, company limited. That mandate. Your company. Your personal brand. That mandate. How serious do you want to take it? What course do you want to effect? You are your own jury. It depends on your own burning course, your inspired dream, and the part you want to play. This question I posed maybe bit unfair because I never had a chance to answer it myself. Eh? So let me disclose. I never answered. Because for me, I did not set out to be a CEO. It was very simple. I just want to be the best I can in any space I find myself. If CEO happens to be one of them, so be it. So I just want to leave you with the last thought. I never set out to be a CEO. I always set out to be a good team member, a good colleague. Thank you very much.